Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Jesus Garcia. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your, what your work and your research focus on? Sure. So um, I'm originally from Mexico. That's where I went to um, college. I uh, originally came to the United States for grad school. Uh, so I did all my research in collaboration with the Houston, Medi uh, Houston Methodist Research Institute. Um, I rotated through different labs, but I ended up in the pathology uh, lab in there. So after graduating uh, my PhD, I got the opportunity to work in at MD Anderson Cancer Center as a scientist there um, in one of the laboratories uh, under the umbrella of Dr. James Allison, which was a privilege there. Uh, it was an, in the immuno-oncology uh, platform over there. Uh, that's where I started uh, learning and developing skills as a scientist, specifically in, uh, uh, in the biomarker space, working uh, in, in already clinical trials uh, or assays for clinical trials. Uh, I dove into new technologies, uh, not only like immunohistochemistry and multiplex immunofluorescence, but I got in to learn about uh, image analysis, uh, digital pathology, and more. Um, after a few years there, I switched into industry, into a small laboratory called Apocell, which uh, pretty much provided lab services for uh, clinical trials, mainly for biotech or biopharma, uh, and it was mainly specialty lab services around tissue and uh, liquid biopsy assays. So I was a scientist there for about um, a year or two when I transitioned into a more of a subject matter expert uh, role, and that's what I've been doing for the last four or five years. So pretty much my my role in my research uh, or the part that I play in the research we do at Precision for Medicine is to really dive into um, the sponsors' uh, clinical protocols and see how we can help them develop uh, an appropriate biomarker strategy. Uh, now, we even though it's not exclusive, the majority of our, our projects are uh, oncology and a big part of that is immune oncology so that's why you know a lot of my work has been uh, in the tumor microenvironment for example so that's a short uh, introduction I guess awesome thanks I'm excited to you know hear more about this research too yeah. um, so for background what is the tumor microenvironment and what is the role that it plays in tumor growth sure so historically um, we have been very simplistic when approaching um, uh, cancer, right? We have been developing therapies, and I'm talking <laughs> some time ago, you know. Um, it has been a very uh, simplistic approach, taking into account just understanding the tumor cell and how it responds to X or Y therapy. You know, that's why we came up with, um, you know, different, more targeted, uh, like not necessarily targeted therapies, you know, but um therapies that were not taking into account cancer or tumor as a whole as as um as a complex system okay it was so that's when you know research starting um 
gearing towards, okay, why are a lot of these therapies failing? Um, and then we started under trying to understand that that the tumor is not, you know, an isolated, you know, system. It, it exists in a in a more complex uh, environment, the tumor microenvironment, where there's a lot of things that uh, play a role. Uh, some of those things, you know, can be um, different proteins like cytokines uh, or things like how much oxygen is present, the, the pH or acid involved in the tumor microenvironment, and obviously uh, a lot of different uh, potentially impactful cell types. Um, not only tumor cells, since that's what we've been focusing more on for the last couple decades, but also other cells like cytotoxic immune cells, suppressive immune cells, and and uh, different uh, subtypes of these cells. Um, so we've learned to look at the tumor and the tumor microenvironment, um, some sort of um, super Darwinian ecosystem where uh, survival of different clones of these tumor cells matters and how they survive to their environment, to maybe even therapies or uh, the immune system. So that's, you know, uh, a little bit of what the tumor microenvironment is, is everything around tumor involving other cells, uh, necrosis around the tumor, uh, blood vessels around the tumor. And all of that is going to have an impact on whether, not only whether the, the, the therapy is effective, but whether it's delivered, whether it's going to have uh, unintended consequences, etc. Great, thank you. That was a really helpful overview and understanding it. Thank you. So what are some of the current unmet needs regarding understanding the tumor microenvironment? Well, uh, one of the main things is that uh, the tissue availability is very, uh, it's, it's always an issue, right? Uh, that's because obviously in order to obtain tissue to analyze it, uh, a patient has to undergo an invasement, uh, an invasive procedure, right? And some of those can present themselves uh, potentially a significant risk, depending on, on where the tumor is um, and, you know, the adjacent structures, you know, uh, um, lung biopsy can be very, very dangerous just by itself. So it's always a challenge to obtain, you know, enough tissue to explore uh, the tumor microenvironment. And then there's limitations of technology. Immunohistochemistry is one of the gold standards that has been used by, by pathologists and, and clinicians. Uh, but that, even though that's still the gold standard for many um, purposes, it's very limited and it's potentially you know, wasteful because you're analyzing, you have one analyte and so just you're looking at one protein and you're using, you know, one whole slide. And depending on the size of the tissue, you might have just a handful of slides available for you to get a better understanding of uh, the tumor. Now, uh, even though it's still very useful, um, a limitation has been on, okay, how can we make better use of the limited amount of tissue that we sometimes have? So even though we're making great progress, now we have, uh, speaking again about protein, for example, we have 
multiplex immunofluorescence approaches where now we're able to look at um, many more um, proteins at a time. Now, this is not, immunofluorescence is not a new technology, but the quantity, the number of proteins that we can look at a time, the sensitivity of the assays, the throughput, the just the quality in general of, of this technologies, it keeps increasing. Now we have multiple technologies where you can, you know, in theory, measure hundreds of um, of proteins, right? It's like doing a hundred IHC assays in one slide. Now, the challenge that presents then is data analysis. You know, before uh, scoring an IHC uh, slide was relatively simple, we, even for a pathologist, of course, um, you know, they have to look at uh, a handful of um, areas, uh, quantify the expression of these proteins, see how many cells uh, assess the intensity of, of, of the expression of this protein, and then uh, come up with a scoring, whether it's a, a H score or a custom scoring system. But it's relatively simple. Now, once you turn that into, okay, now we have, you know, not only one, but two or 10 or dozens of proteins in the same in the same um, slide, we want to do the same thing, but on a different scale. And it, it doesn't, it's not, um, it's not only like doing the same thing, you know, times 20, times 30, but now we also want to assess, okay, now that we have those 30 markers or whatever, how do they relate to each other? You know, now we can define potentially more complex phenotypes of cells. Okay, and before we could say, okay, we have, you know, this score for CD8 cells. Now we can see, okay, we have a CD8 cell, but that is expressing this marker X, Y, and Z. Uh, and it's and now we have we can do the same as um, assess those cell types and in context of other complex phenotypes. So it, it really becomes not only uh, the complexity of the data and the analysis that needs to be done, it's exponential. It's not like analyzing 30 IHC, uh, scoring 30 IHC slides. The the complexity of the relationship amongst among uh, all those different proteins or cell types uh, becomes much, much, much more complex than the sum of 30 proteins. So that's one of the main limitations right now. Uh, we're starting to come up with, by we, as in, as in that the field is starting to come up with solutions on how to even ask the right questions. Because when you have just a handful of, of uh, proteins to analyze, it's it can be not as difficult to ask a, uh, ask a question. Okay, how many CD8 cells have? How and how much intensity I have? But once you have all those 30 markers or more, then even phrasing a meaningful question, and that is going to be useful for your patient ultimately, it becomes a real, real challenge. So I think that's the main, um, that's one of the main uh, limitations right now. And same goes for uh, genomics-based assays. You know, uh, genomics produces a lot of data, but now that we're also 
starting to use the tumor, the NGS or, or other molecular tools to analyze the tumor microenvironment it, in its in in the context of the in the spatial context because we have always you know done uh, bulk sequencing or whatever but now we're starting to add the spatial uh, variable to it same thing happens like now that we're sequencing all these different cell types and we're trying to take the variable of spatial context into into account then it just becomes exponentially more complex so those are probably the main limitations right now great thank you um so in in light of all these complexities and the solutions that are being made to address them how can an improved understanding of the tumor microenvironment impact oncology drug development and ultimately patient outcomes where we can see that understanding the tumor microenvironment can be uh, more impactful is in immunotherapy right now. That's the textbook example right now, because of course, immunotherapy needs, uh, it, it uses the immune system, right? To, um, to treat the cancer. So in order to understand how the immune uh, system is going to, um, respond once the therapy is uh, given to the, the patient, we need to understand the context, the spatial um, environment, the, the, the spatial context of, of this tumor, right? Uh, we typically, the main three ca categories, for example, that we see or that we use to uh, classify um, the, the immune uh, infiltration in, 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 the, in the tumor is like either hot or cold, or we can, but it's really a continuum, right? It's not like, uh, you know, it, it's hot or cold, is the degree of, of immune cells uh, involved in, in this um, region, in the, in the tumor microenvironment, or the lack of, of uh, these immune cells. So obviously, if we see that there are no immune cells um, in our therapy, needs immune cells, we either need to recruit immune cells uh, to the tumor or decide that this um, therapy might not work for this, this um, patient. Sometimes it it's even helpful to, okay, uh, we're not even going to select this patient for this therapy because it's very unlikely that it will work for them. So there's not only, of course, uh, we can save costs, but also like potential secondary effects that might impact the patient without actually giving them any benefit, hopefully, so they can probably move on to the next possible alternative. So understanding um, mainly the, the immune cells, that's the, the easiest example, where they are, if we have the, the target phenotypes that we are uh, interested in, because uh, immune therapies are given for, uh, can target different uh, proteins or different cell types. They might want to uh, involve more regulatory cells or more cytotoxic cells or other cell types that might be involved like macrophages. So we have to know, understand, okay, how many of my cells of interest are there? Where are they? Because if they are outside of the tumor, if there's no infiltration, we might need to say, okay, maybe it's not going to work because something is preventing 
the the immune cells from actually working where they should be working okay but if we see the right conditions if we see that uh either before or after therapy we can see that okay we have the the correct cell types we see the protein uh, and the targets of interest in the appropriate regions then we have a better chance of of um um well the the, the patient might respond better to these these therapies so um in, in our case, what at Precision, what we're hoping to help sponsors with is first uh, developing assays that they're going to help in their exploratory endpoints at the beginning. So they're going to mainly provide um, this type of uh, information or data so the sponsors can learn and learn, or it can help the, the, the sponsors explain the results of what they are seeing, um, you know, after therapy, after the, you know, whether it's uh, correlating with a survival, with other uh, uh, measures. So we're trying to provide them with that information, and hopefully, even uh, if things go well in the in the trials, hopefully, we can help them develop uh, assays that are going to help them predict, right? To um really help them achieve this this precision medicine to help them come up with the appropriate uh subjects or patients that are more likely to respond to their therapies so this is one way of how assessing the tumor microenvironment can really help uh, with precision medicine awesome um so speaking about these trials that are underway or that are planned what uh, what is some of the progress that you hope to see in in this field within the next few years Right now, of course, the, there's a lot of traction with you know the the typical uh, checkpoint inhibitors, the PDL1, um, uh, the CTLA4, etc. But for the typical therapies, that that the, the first couple of of checkpoint in, inhibitor therapies, uh, the tumor microenvironment was not assessed as you know with the technologies that we have right now. So right now we see a lot of the sponsors trying to use these technologies to improve therapies that have already been doing very good, but have somehow failed to provide the response that they, we were expecting at the beginning, at least with some indication of cancers, right? Uh, right now, uh, you know, your typical epipedial one therapy, we still use a companion diagnostic that is uh, just a single chromogenic IHC, so one target. And, and uh, the way we score that is relatively, you know, still old fashioned, which we wrong is, is still gold standard, but it still lacks the the tools or the, the, the technology that we now have available. So I see a lot of clients uh, or sponsors trying to just, okay, use that technology, maybe multiple immunofluorescence, maybe they want to understand not only PDL1 expression in, in, in tumor cells, but okay, how does that relate to uh, also regulatory cells around the tumor and um, cytotoxic cells around the tumor? So trying to use more complex ways of selecting patients that are more likely to respond to the therapy, which it's already good, just by doing an IHC, but if you use the current technologies to, you know, select, do a better selection of those patients, we're more likely to have better results. Uh, there's also 
heard too, you know, from uh, ASCO, I think it was last year, we have very, there was very good advancements with the um, uh, low expression HER2s that previously they were classified as, as negative, but um, a group uh, made some awesome um, advancement there where they saw that some low expression, uh, some patients that had low expression of HER2 could potentially still uh, get benefit from targeted HER2 therapy. And now also, uh, again, using better technologies or, or more advanced technologies from digital pathology and everything, even in just IHC, another thing that has been implemented is helping the pathologist with the scoring system. So there's some companies that have used AI, uh, artificial intelligence, to help the pathologist with better scoring. Okay, Because, for example, the pathologist might be focusing on just uh, a few fields of view to score, while the uh, AI algorithms can uh, just do it the entire slide. Sometimes AI can distinguish uh, smaller differences in expression or counts, or they can count the entire, like every single cell in the slide versus the pathologies that, you know, relies on, on, a, on a smaller sample. So there have been some studies where, you know, retroactively they, they uh, say, okay, if we had used the AI to help the pathologist to enroll patients, they would have um, enrolled more patients that were going to respond to the therapy versus what they originally did, which was um, enroll with, with the pathologist scoring method. So we already seen those improvements and how using more technology to better assess the tumor microenvironment is going to help with uh, mainly immunotherapies, but not limited to. Great, thank you. Um, There's another really great overview of, um, of all the progress and the upcoming advances. So anything else you would uh, like to share on this topic? No, I mean, just thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a great opportunity and I always love talking about what I do, about uh, not only cancer, but all the advancement advancements in uh, you know, the, the tumor microenvironment, digital pathology, even AI, uh, and how it's helping us, uh, you know, come up with better treatment for patients. It's, I think it's always, I always like the opportunity to, to, uh, discuss and, and talk about these things. So I just wanted to say thank you for, for having me. Yes, absolutely. And we look forward to hearing more about the research in the future as well. Awesome. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.